0: Fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And stress is an inevitable factor in your life and in the lives of the people in your organisation. A fit, healthy team is an energised, effective team. But it is not enough to just tell your people what to do, you need to show them. If you want your people to have a better quality of life and a more rewarding career, then it is vital that you lead from the front. Your choices, your behaviours are in the spotlight. My name's Jay Unwin, it's time to get fit to lead. Welcome back to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. Today, my guest is mental health consultant, TEDx speaker, and the CEO of PVL, Petra Velzabour. And we chat about companies, cults, communities, and why loneliness is like being punched in the face, scientifically speaking. Don't forget that on the first Wednesday of every month at 11am UK time I run a free webinar called Level Up Your People. If you're interested in coming along then you can head to fitbodyfitmind.online forward slash level up and get yourself registered. Hey Petra how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really good thank you so much for having me.
0: It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. And uh, even even more thanks uh, than normal are in order because you jumped on this at such short notice.
1: Well, it's called resilience is what that that is. And just being adaptable, one of my team actually forwarded uh, your request from LinkedIn and just said, this might be good. And so I just went, all right, I'll trust you, let's do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully. So I'm coming in blind. Yeah, well, that's
0: it. I mean, most of the time when I record a podcast, I've at least had one conversation with the person before we record the podcast and in this instance that hasn't happened and so this could be either a tremendous success or an absolute car crash so we'll we'll have to wait and see
1: prepare to be surprised
0: there we go um so i'm going to start with the question that i ask everyone to start with and that is what does fitness mean to you
1: for me um It's probably going to sound crazy to say fitness is happiness because that doesn't make scientific sense, but it does just make me think of joy, it makes me think of connection, it makes me think of um, healthy body, healthy mind. So basically working at my optimum performance in different ways
0: that's awesome and like I, I for those of you i know you probably saw me on the screen looking very excited about your answer then um anyone listening to this obviously won't have had the joy of of my facial expressions then but when you said that you know when you made that comparison with happiness that got me excited because it is it is so interesting to kind of draw these parallels because fitness has this um, certain reputation, like the word conjures up certain images. And I'm always talking about the way we've been conditioned to think about fitness, the way that we see the word fitness next to certain images. And then we associate those images, things like, you know, the gym and six packs and, um, you know, going going running a marathon and just very obvious Obvious stuff, and the fact that you've drawn a parallel there with with happiness is is fascinating to me. And you mentioned the word resilience, you know, in the intro just then, um, and that ties in with it as well. Because for me, it's very much about um, it, your ability to cope with and recover from stress. That's something that I'm always talking about. People who've listened to this before or have heard me kind of harp on about it enough. And and that's kind of what resilience is in a lot of ways as well. And I feel, at least in my experience and and the conversations I've had over the years, that that is a primary part of happiness, at least that kind of long-term contented happiness, not joy, not pleasure, but that that contentment and fulfillment is being able to cope with the demands of everyday life, right?
1: I would say so. I think it's Um, it's how our bodies were meant to be, and it's individual, right? So for somebody, it might be walking in hills or or some kind of way of movement within their body. Um, For me, I can probably track stages in my life, um, and I have experienced depression, suicidal ideation, alcohol addiction, like the full spectrum is in my story. Um, And I can really see the times in my life when I was the most content and happy and fulfilled even when I was physically fitter when I was investing in both my body and my mind in some way. So that's how I would connect it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's something which we, we tend to separate out. And obviously I know that you do a lot of work with, with mental health in particular. And, and it's something that we often separate out and you've got mental health almost separate Why? to physical health. Yeah, and Why? it doesn't make a lot of sense really, do when you really not, drill down.
1: Your head is attached to your body, right? And people can't see my face, but this is because there's, I work in businesses where they just separate it out all the time, right? The physical fitness is over here, the mental fitness or leadership training, emotional intelligence, all those sorts of things that combine into mental fitness are way over there in a completely different department right? And so kind of people get it, but the, the, the science now, the neuroscience is like when we move, when we activate our body, our brain activates, we're more creative. So many things happen from that perspective as well, which is probably why the pandemic and this sitting on your ass vibe are, is not very healthy for a lot of us. And many people are struggling in a much bigger way.
0: Absolutely. There's so, there's so many aspects to that as well, because it's not just the Although I think the, the the sedentary nature of working from home is a big part of it. And I think that, you know, whereas perhaps in the past our commute, even if it was a sat down commute or in a car or whatever, we had, to, we had to travel in some way, you know, even if it's just walking to the car, getting outdoors, getting some fresh air, walking from the car to the office. Um, and then when, once we're in the office, there's obviously the social aspect of that. And you're getting up and you're going and chatting to someone at another desk and this, that and the other. And then on top of that, you've got this, the, the blurred boundaries and that, now I've, I'm a big fan of working from home I'm a big fan of flexible working because I, I require it for the way that my body and the way that my mind works sometimes I just I I can't work the hours that most people work like my, my body just um, becomes drained too quickly um, but also on a day-to-day basis or even an hourly basis my energy fluctuates a lot and so working from home has, has really strong um, benefits for me and I know it does for a lot of people as well but you have to have such strong boundaries, don't you? You have to put them in place because they're no longer put there for you. Like, these are the hours you work. You're now in control of that. And so there's the sedentary side of it. Um, but then there's also the kind of, oh, I'll just get my laptop out and do a bit of work in the evening. And it's it's been there's a so bit many of a minefield. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's so many sides to this always on culture. And this idea that when you go into an office, basically that decision is somewhat being made for you. You get to be a nice sheep, show up, um, and uh, you kind of follow what everybody else is doing. Whereas when you're working from home or in a hybrid kind of flexible working environment, you're right, we have to make more conscious decisions about ourselves. listen to what our body needs, everybody's a little bit different, when are you your best self? When would you tackle your more difficult tasks? What kind of breaks? What kind of, I like the term active recovery. Yeah. So rather than for me, like, oh, let me move from this seat to my sofa and have a break. Like I need active recovery. I need to go for that walk around my block. I need to shake my body, you know, and the amount of, I'm trying to do as many audio calls now as possible. Uh, so it's like, do, does it have to be a Zoom call or can it be something where I'm moving while, while I'm, I'm talking? Um, and so... Everybody's different, but it means those boundaries have to be personal, and, but this is the bit people forget to do when they're working in a team, even if you're flexible. They create the boundary, they realize what they need, they decide what's important for them, they evolve perhaps to a new working situation, and then they forget to tell anyone about it. So they don't tell anyone, hey, this is the boundary I need or this is how I'm going to do my time because it's how I can be my best self. And this is where the misunderstandings and conflict can come up where like, hey, that person's not on or the fear of like, I've got to always be on for other people in case they judge me or think I'm not working. It is a minefield. I'm agreeing with you. And do you think that that
0: that kind of communication of boundaries um, is something which is also made a little bit more difficult by the kind of the nature of remote communication, I guess, because you're not seeing people face to face and things like that. And do you think that Do you think that well, if you're in the office, you can communicate those things better or do you think that there's ways around that?
1: There are ways around it. Like the amount of people who say, well, it's just not the same. And it almost acts as a barrier to doing the work that it would take to evolve into doing it a different way. So I've onboarded and hired people within my team uh, that we've we now met, but we hadn't met for, for Quite a while, and you can create what we call psychological safety, deep communication, and all of those things. You just have to be a little bit more explicit, mm-hmm. um, and you have to be a little bit more direct, right? How are people handling their boundaries? Is a question as a leader and a CEO that I might ask my people, right? Are there anything? Is there anything I can do to help? If I'm working at odd hours, I uh, communicate to my team. I've got two teenagers in my house mm-hmm. so i'm often going to be balancing my time when they come home for school so when we finish this um, i'm probably going to step back a little bit sort them out and come back to it and i might work later but i'm not expecting my team to do that now if i didn't say that to them explicitly then they would think that that's the unspoken expectation because the leader is behaving in that way right yeah. So the crucial piece even to your partner. Like if you live at home with a partner and you say, well, I need a bit of alone time to shake. Like I can't go immediately into interacting with someone else in my house. If you just disappear, that person might feel resentful. Perhaps they thought you'd spend time together immediately, right? So it's really that, it takes a bit of vulnerability and, and bravery to to kind of say, hey, to be honest, I need thirty minutes or an hour to just do me and go outside or whatever it might be, and then let's circle back and spend time together. Like then, the, our cortisol can come down—that stress hormone that is all about like oh, what's happening, uncertainty, which there's so much of. <laughs> yeah, right? just a bit. Manage expectations is what it is.
0: Do you think that? Do you think that there is um, more shift? I mean, you mentioned vulnerability for example there which is like it's becoming a bit of a buzzword but I still think it's not quite got the kind of the 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 meaningless cliche level that something like authenticity has doing air quotes over here (laughs) um where they're they're great words but they become used so much in corporate circles that they almost become like uh, it's just uh, just another thing in in fact to be honest resilience sometimes is just used it's just thrown around as a word without really any meaning
1: with that word, no. resilience. <laughs> and, and no, I don't mind the word when it's meant properly. Yeah. But I get called in as a training provider and there's like a massive restructure. They're being acquired, like crazy stuff's happening. People are being made redundant. And they're like, Petra, can you and your team do something about resilience so that everyone can buck up and deal with the ridiculous changes? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, no, that's just putting a plaster on a gaping wound. Yeah. And actually, we probably need to take a step back from that. You this, know what can, I mean? you
0: make, can you make people feel better about the fact we've just sacked them?
1: <laughs> or make it like their fault. Like they need to work on themselves when there's always two sides. There's oh, organizational yeah. responsibility. And yes, I'm 100% an advocate of personal responsibility, but it's got to be both.
0: It's, it's quite refreshing with that. I'm going I'm to come back to the vulnerability piece in a sec, but the, yeah. w- it's quite refreshing to hear that because um, I think that – so I'm, I'm very much um, – what's the word like a collectivist in a lot of ways like I'm very much about community (laughs) yeah it's nice isn't it and it's it's like I I, I'm very much about human interaction and communities and because that's what an organization is that's what a company is at the end of the day it's a community who are working together for a common goal that's what it was at least what it's supposed to be yes um and the kind of general zeitgeist if you like seems to be one of hyper individualism where personal responsibility is the word and the only word like and and it's and it's great because like you I I I agree that personal responsi- responsibility is vital because otherwise it just becomes blaming everyone else and all the rest of it but like you said and this is why it's so refreshing because you've said this. there's two sides to it and the truth is never at one of the extremes, is it like no. in anything but we no. live in such a polarized world. Um, but what I wanted to say about vulnerability uh, and to get your insight into was because you work with a lot of a lot of leaders and a lot of companies do you find that there's a bit that there's a bit more of a shift towards people in positions of leadership um showing their vulnerability a little bit more these days than perhaps in the past or do you find that that's still, um, that that's still quite a tricky one to break
1: well it's still very tricky but yes definitely compared to the past we're on the right path like there there is definite change um just you know since Brené Brown has done her work her book Dare to Lead she really translates it into the purpose within business and for leaders so yes it's moving but I do think there's still a boundary around um if you're right at the top like how your vulnerability for the purpose of the collective of the team yeah so you're you're being vulnerable which is completely genuine but it's it's for the purpose of giving permission to other people to equally show up and be themselves like that's the most powerful bit about it now again i'm the ceo of my company and i've got ptsd so i remember this sales meeting that we had once and i was a bit of a bitch am i allowed to say that yeah absolutely Um, (laughs) you can you can
0: say whatever you like
1: um and i just was a bit snappy and a bit like what are we even what is the purpose of this meeting and you know and someone else was running it and i just asked these sort of snappy questions and i had to take a step back afterwards and circle back to my team and actually say and this was vulnerable i went guys i actually was having a really tough day like my ptsd symptoms were through the roof and sometimes that makes puts me in attack mode rather than listening mode right yeah you know, I've had, I've been tearful in front of my team and, you know, but, but every single person now checks in on each other and does the same with each other. Right. So it's like vulnerability needs to be at all levels of the business, but a leader's purpose in it is to give permission for other people. Um, but also, um, it's okay to just saying you're having a bad day or your, your parent, dog, child, partner, whatever is like chaotic behind you. And in a way, the pandemic has given us an opportunity to see some of that. So, are we capitalising on that opportunity or not?
0: I think you're right, and I think that it's it, not only has the pandemic given us this kind of uh, this opportunity, and it's 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 a it's a tough one, isn't it, with something as um, that's been so devastating to so many people. I, I, I'm always aware of that when I'm saying, oh, you know, there's been these opportunities and there's been these positives that have come out of it, because I know that for some people. It's it's not been a positive experience at all. You know, people have lost loved ones, and people have lost jobs and businesses and all kinds of stuff. Um, but you're right that it is given it is given that opportunity, uh, and also it's kind of it's it's been a forced slowing down, hasn't it? And we've had to kind of get. Um, more reconnected with our priorities in a way that perhaps we'd lost sight of before, especially people in positions of leadership, because there's always been so many plates spinning, there's always been such a high pace and things like that, and then everything kind of shut down. Even even if it wasn't shut down completely for the full year and a half, you know, at least at least a period of a couple of months where everything had really slowed to a halt, and people were at home and they were going, "Oh, you know what? Actually, I really enjoy spending time with my family, and maybe I wasn't doing enough of this before." Um, and I think that the thing with, with sharing, your, um, sharing your struggles, I guess, in terms of the vulnerability thing, sharing when you're having a bad day, um, is a way of the people in, people in your organisation look up to you as a leader. Whether they like you or not is almost irrelevant. They're still going to be looking to you for leadership. And when you embody that particular value that's a lot more powerful than just verbalizing it, right?
1: Uh, Embodying anything makes it more genuine rather than talking about it and expecting something different. Um, So absolutely, it's how you show up and how you lead by example that makes the biggest difference. Yes, there's time. There's been a real opportunity for reflection. Different industries have been different. I mean, the boundaries thing, I see many companies because of different time zones, working longer hours, so that commute time is now just work time. And it's just actually extending much longer in in that way. But with even like you said, you want to be respectful for people who this has been a really shit time for, right? And so do I. And even those extreme situations, if you allow some perspective and some shift, there's an opportunity. And I've learned that through very painful, hardcore, traumatic experiences that I've been through that even within those most dark, painful things, there can be opportunity. Growth, development, perspective, awareness, mental fitness, all of these things, right? Yeah. And I think it it takes going through some of that stuff to train yourself to go, how do I choose to look at this? Well, am I you- going to be swept up in the media frenzy of, of what it is or am I going to reflect in a different way?
0: It's very it, It's very difficult to get uh any kind of forwards momentum or growth or personal development of any kind without some kind of challenge and difficulty and and this is another parallel you know just before we started recording we were talking about physical fitness mental fitness yeah. and, and and kind of my my ideas around that and and uh, how it relates to stress um when i talk about stress i talk about it from an external perspective like the stress is the load it's the it's the pressure it's not the feeling the feeling is often we talk about stress and when i talk about it as a feeling i try and talk about it in terms of um something a bit more specific like overwhelm for example because stress i think has has come to mean so many different things to people
1: stress, some stress is good but it can be good absolutely right? it can push, of course it push can. you to your limits and all of that but it's yeah. that negative toxic stress i guess over too much time
0: that's it it's the it's the chronic stress which just doesn't go away and there's no respite you talked about active recovery and uh, you know you need to have that recovery and it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's something that i'm always kind of trying to harp on about to other people as well which is that if you want to have a break from mental and emotional stress a bit of physical stress is usually pretty a pretty good way of having a break from that um and and sometimes even the other way around so if you look at people who are in maybe very physically demanding jobs which aren't particularly mentally demanding then their downtime may be physically relaxed but they want some kind of mental stimulation so maybe they'll be um writing or maybe they'll be doing puzzles of some kind or you know it'll be something which stimulates the brain which they don't get at work now however obviously most people these days it's the other way around most people have a very mentally and emotionally difficult work life Uh, and then when they are trying to rest and recover from that they do kind of the thing that you suggested where they or or rather that you suggested they don't do which is that they sit on the sofa and they try and relax because they feel so tired
1: well but you know what happens is like the the stress the adrenaline is still in your body yeah so where where the difference between me speaking on stage is i move around while i'm speaking so i'm essentially shaking it out as i talk. But sitting here, right, in this fixed position at my screen means I'm not able to burn out or shake out the stress as I'm talking. So it stacks up. And when I'm finished, like, I have to move in order. And there's a great book called Burnout. Uh, It's pretty new. Unlocking the Stress Cycle uh, by Dr. Emily Nagoski. Um, You can see they've, uh, Brene Brown's interviewed them. They're they're out um, on YouTube in different ways. But um, there's a whole host of ways that you can release stress. One of them, of course, is movement, and that's the science. And um, some other ones, just for fun trivia, are um, the 20-second hug. So if you're with yeah. a consenting human, 20-second hug, and the six-second kiss. So if you're, like, with, with somebody, like, that's actually the amount of time it takes to go,
0: oh. Yeah, it's like a magic spot, isn't that? And this is yeah. – it's, it's fascinating to me because it sounds like someone has – lumped an arbitrary number of seconds onto something to make it sound sciencey but when you actually do it because i had a friend who who told me about the whole 20 second hug thing yeah and uh and not only did he tell me about it but he was like right let me show Let's you because it. i was skeptical right i was just like but why why 20 seconds he's like look i don't know How's- but like come here <laughs> and <laughs> and um not only did he do that but it was um uh it was he he had this thing where he was like i want the left side of your chest on the left side of my chest heart to heart and this was mm. like an extra thing that he added um, mm. from from something else that he'd read uh, if mikey's listening to this he'll know i'm talking about him um, and it was, and was a
1: memorable hug it was a memorable hug, it a memorable hug yeah yes. it was a
0: memorable <laughs> hug it was nearly it was it was february last year i remember exactly <laughs> when it was and it was in the it was in a hotel a hotel lobby in birmingham and um, and it was just like, you kind of have that hug. And then at the point where you are about to, what were you would normally release, right? Especially dudes. It's like a, you know, Dude, it's a hug.
1: British pat, people.
0: Pat on the back. Yeah. yeah, we're weird about aren't we, British people? Back off, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just like, no, you stay there. And then you stay there a little bit more. And then you just kind of, it's almost like you melt isn't it? Like, just the stress drains out of your shoulders. It really does. Yeah. It's phenomenal stuff. And this is something which I think, you know, we're talking about we're talking about working from home. We're talking about kind of certain barriers to things. And again, not everyone's a hugger. Like, I get that. Not everyone likes that oh, physical physical of, touch. There's but lots
1: of roots to complete of your trust Of course yeah. there are.
0: But with in terms of human connection and physical connection, physical tactile, you know, uh, connection with other human beings is something that we've been uh, starved of for over a year and a half in a lot of ways um in fact we were starved of it even with people that we were close to you know if we weren't yeah. in their bubble and we weren't hugging loved ones and stuff like that
1: and people and, have lived we're living alone and not really yeah. Not, yeah
0: and you just think this is this is stuff which we've never really properly or most of us haven't assessed in terms of the its importance to us because we've taken it for granted and and human connection is just it's vital for well-being. I mean again we're talking about you know you're talking about the kind of these studies uh, um, and the kind of science of these connections and things like that and there's there was uh, something I was reading recently again you I mean I've just looked up that burnout book by the way because otherwise I'll forget about it and so, because my memory is absolutely yeah, terrible. Um, and another example of my memory being terrible is I can't remember what this study was or who did it but it was it was to do with um, social connections and longevity. And about how people with good quality and a good amount of social connections live longer.
1: Yeah. I I read this great um, quote by Johan Hari, um, who talks about his, his, I think he did a TED talk called Lost Connections, which was viewed, I don't know, a gazillion times. But he talks about loneliness and how loneliness releases the same amount of cortisol as being punched in the face by a stranger. Wow. Right. So that's your your stress hormone that is not good for your physical or mental health. Right. And if you think about it that way. Right. Loneliness is um, and, and, and all the other studies that you're quoting as well. It's like it affects your physical health, but it's a powerful statement. And yes. Um, I used to do this exercise when I would more in-person events where I would, right at the beginning, just to disrupt people a little bit and make them think, holy shit, what am I doing? What have I signed up to? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd get them to stare into each other's eyes for three minutes. 30 seconds. No, I wouldn't do three minutes. That's some kind of torture for British people. But um, Three
0: minutes. I'm, I'm getting nervous just listening to that.
1: 30 seconds, 30 seconds. And you're just like, you can be a meter away, but you're actually having eye contact. And I remember meeting with my team for the first time after over a year. And we were all staring into our coffee cups because we were like, this is intense. Yeah. <laughs> 3D people and eye contact, you know. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, I grew up in communes. So I grew up in, a, well, what turned out to be a religious cult and it went a bit dark. So I've seen the dark side of some of this. But the commune, like the ideology of like that, the village raising the children and connecting, like all supporting each other to live life, right? Um, there's something to it, which is, you know, we're now, especially in cities, we're more isolated, more, we're more individualistic and mental health issues are on the rise, like, yeah. can we put two and two together? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that that is. If you look at if you look at how our society and our um, our kind of lives, our environment that we find ourselves in has evolved so much faster than we have evolved physically and emotionally and psychologically. You know, it's psychologically yeah. even, it, although we're psychologically a little bit further on than maybe our bodies are in a lot of ways we're still you know we haven't changed that much in thousands and thousands of years and yet our society is not only just changing in thousands and thousands of years but in you know the space of six months you know everything seems to change and there's so much upheaval and you mentioned uncertainty earlier on uncertainty is from from my perspective the biggest well, one of if not the biggest causes of, of um, kind of anxiety and overwhelm because we like to know what's going to happen at least a little bit hmm. because then we can plan for it and we feel safe and that's the thing about boundaries again they make us feel safe it's like when you've got kids isn't it if you give them boundaries and they've got they've got certain rules which they know to operate within they feel like they feel safer than having no rules at all yeah and there's so much chaos, and we're so much more disconnected that we don't really know where to turn for that support. Whereas before, we had these groups, we had these communities, these extended families, and these villages, which um, which offered that support. And some, as as we're talking about this, it almost feels like if a if a company or other organisation is built on foundations and values which are um, kind of akin to a basic kind of human needs and our own human values and stuff like that could that afford some of that social connection that perhaps we're missing
1: absolutely absolutely and i want us to change the narrative to looking at work as being good for our mental health good for our fitness rather than just the approach now which is like how do we make it less bad Right? <laughs> you've got to, you've got to show up anyway, but let's make yeah. us not kill ourselves yeah. Like, yeah and I'm like but what if you you spend the the majority of your hours in work these days in some form or another what if it was good for your mental health what if it replicated the connection in the community and i' I've, I've seen many kind of younger organizations uh, do you know why do they do you know ping pong tables and and you know rest zones and and all of these things it's so that you can Connect and be social with the people, your family in the yes. workplace.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned about um, you know your upbringing being less than your regular. Uh, it was weird. Yeah, let's, just, let's be real. <laughs> let's let's not be around the bush, yeah, Petra. let's not be around um, the bush. <laughs> so, you know, with with things being as polarizing as they are now, and everyone takes everything to the extreme. Um, you know, we look at we look at I can't remember whether this was when we were um after we started recording or before we started recording (laughs) but we were talking about um we were talking about polarity and we were talking about the truth being in the middle and these kinds of things um so if anyone's listening and we've already mentioned that then apologies I'm going to mention it again um (laughs) it may well have been before we started the the idea that everyone is is taking everything to extremes and it becomes this real strong it's like the identity politics thing where you know you've got the the the, the moderate left are becoming more and more kind of far left and the moderate right becoming more and more far right and it becomes all this all this fighting um, it's like Brexit it's like um, COVID and anti vaxxers and this that and the other and there's just there, there's so yeah. little nuance and subtlety anymore. And it's almost like when you were talking about the, um, the fact that there's, there's some truth and some benefit and some validity in this communal upbringing um, and, you know, the village raising the kids kind of thing. Uh, would you say that the kind of your experience of that growing up was just that taken to the extreme with a kind of removal of other things which tempered that?
1: Yeah, well, if you, but if you look at other communities or organizations throughout history as well, often there's been a religious component. Of or course, often, yeah. Over time, in order to keep the peace, we don't want to, even in communism, we don't want too many differing views. We want everyone to kind of be in the same boat. And that's what people fight against eventually, because yeah. you need space for individuality. Um, And so certainly there were benefits, like I'm one of five siblings, I actually have six half siblings as well. I'm the only blonde one, we're a blended family. So my dad's black, my mom's white. We grew up with all these people, right? So you saw lots of cultures, we grew up in lots of countries. So there was a real education of humans, of people. Um, But it always happens when you get the teenagers or when you get the the, the ones who wanna shake it up and move things along in some way. Right at the top, you get people get afraid that their community will shift. So rather than evolve, which is what we should do, listen to the new ones and evolve our thinking, you start getting more um, aggressive in holding on to what there is. It's all fear based. It's all fear based. And if you think of the the polarization, it's tribalism in a way because it's people want to belong and the more it's survival. If I'm part of a tribe, I will survive. If I am alone or ostracized from my community, I will die, is the primal kind of experience, right? And so, I mean, I rarely listen to the news. I I rarely listen to polarizing views because I protect my mind so that I can create my own conscious thinking deciding what I'm going to read and listen to. And I guess because I grew up in a cult, any kind of view that is, this is the truth, I'm like, well... (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure there's a range in between, right? So I just have the ability to always look at the t- thousands of ranges in between. It's just a matter of perspective. Reduce the fear and look a bit more openly. And the problem is with this sheep mentality out of fear for safety, right? Yeah. And it's like we've got to bring our cortisol down into what we call the social engagement level through meditation, through movement, through all of those things which we can take personal responsibility for to allow us to get out of that us and them conflict zone and into a collaborative, Hey, what's the opportunity here? How do we as a people, as a society evolve, use this as an opportunity to evolve rather than fight against each other. That was a bit of a monologue, but there you go.
0: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, Do you think that there's some of what you experienced there with, um, the teenagers in this, in this cult kind of get into that rebellious stage, yeah. having their own ideas and the powers that be at the top, the, the, the elders, if you like, um, being afraid of that. Do yeah. you find that that gets mirrored, maybe not in as necessarily an extreme or overt way um, as perhaps we would see in a cult within a company? whereby you have this these kind of fresh ideas coming through and then you've got the old guard who are going whoa this is this is way outside my comfort zone this is something i don't understand and so this so the adoption of new ideas is stunted because of that fear
1: yeah and i'm going to pull rank and actually limit this so that we can with the the logical reasoning that we're just maintaining our success or whatever bullshit people want to talk about yeah um But yes, I think it very much does mirror it. You see it in families. Every generation of teenager is the rebellious one and pushes the boundaries. Um, And you see it with companies that become static. If you think of um, the Kodak example, right? The biggest company that would probably be there forever and ever and ever, they disappeared. And they didn't evolve what they were doing and, and notice the times that we were in, right? And there's countless other companies that have that example. Yep. And so now more than ever. HMV
0: was another one, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So it's like innovation is key, but we need to create space to listen. And of course, it's a balance between the wisdom of experience, which is to tick along some of what's working while listening and being open to innovation. What's going to happen is you're going to retain your talent. You you know, because you've given them space and empowered them to build and move things along. Uh, And that's what we see in the mental health space as well as the younger generation. They want a focus on well-being, fitness, mental fitness, um, you know, uh, achieving your potential, these sorts of things. And hey, the reason why I run my own business is because I would be brought in to innovate. And after a little, it used to be three years, then it was two, then it was one. They'd go innovate and then they'd be like, let's just cap that, please. Like, we've had enough innovation. This is a Be careful what you wish for. We'd like
0: you to innovate within these very strict, rigid guidelines. (laughs)
1: Parameters of what we've always done. Um, And so I got sick of it and thought, well, fuck it. I'm going to build my own thing. Yeah. And, and it's tough because I'm, I'm trying to do the thing that I teach others, which is lead by example, create a culture that does what it says. Right. And that's harder. It's, it, it, you know, it's easier said than done. Uh, but but that's the journey that we're on. And it's an exciting one.
0: I don't think we're ever going to get it right. I think that's the thing, no. isn't it? Is once you're in that position of leadership, you've you've got to be willing. And again, it ties back to the vulnerability thing. Vulnerability doesn't mean oversharing about all your fears and all of everything and every single emotion that you have throughout an, an entire day. But if you can be like one of the big kind of facets of vulnerability to me is about um, is about the acceptance of being imperfect and the acceptance of not having all the answers and not feeling like, because you're the CEO, for example, that you have to know all the answers. Because again, that's what stifles the creativity from other areas and things like that. And it comes back again to the polarity thing, because if you have got, um, if you if you do no innovation and you only do things the way that things have always been done in your company, which is, which is more rife in older companies like Kodak, because they've been around for so long that they've become very entrenched. Um, so you've I got think. that on one side, um, and then the other side, if you were just like, right, we're going to try every single idea and not hold on to anything. Well, that's that's oh. a fucking ridiculous thing to do as well. It's like also yeah. once once again <laughs> the 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 real the real truth is somewhere in the middle and it will vary from organization to organization because um you know that sweet spot is going to vary on industry it's going to vary on the people that you've got but if you can take each idea whether it's an old idea or a new idea on merit and go rationally is this something that we can run with or is it not without it having to be lumped into one or the other category then uh, you're going to get, yes, of course you're going to make mistakes and there's going to be things which don't go right, but you're also going to get that innovation that you need to become competitive or to remain competitive in a world and a marketplace that is changing faster than anything has ever changed in history.
1: Absolutely. And that's why you need diversity represented in your organization to be thinking about this from, like welcome different perspectives instead of hire your mirror image to then repeat back to you what you think is right, right? Yeah. Um, so diversity is important, um, but also like you say it's calculated risk sometimes. So it's building the business based on what you know while creating space on the side for innovation and thinking ahead. And that's why for me, myself and my chief operating officer every other week we'll spend an afternoon on what we call design time, which is zooming out of the company And thinking what's the innovation who are the people we need to talk to how do we move ourselves forward right but the bigger you get i read this great book i can't remember the title about how um corporates are like cults yeah Uh, and what it talks about is the tipping point from the founder the visionary inspirational you know cult leader vibe person who has the plan um once they hire this middle management level so they get big enough that there's this middle management level That's when the problems ensue, because you now have ego, you now have power trips, and people on the ground are disconnected from the founder person, right, who had that immediate vision. So now that you've got this Chinese whispers vibe, we now need policies, we now need all this structure, which is fine, you need those things, but that's when you've got to be careful about keeping the human culture piece alive and allowing that bit to evolve.
0: It is a really fascinating thing. Like, I've, it's not something until chatting to you that I've really made this connection between a company either being cult-like or being community-like. And it's about that difference. That that's, It's like a knife edge to tread, isn't it? Where you, you're you developing something which can be a community. But that's probably what the people in a cult think while they're doing it, isn't it? It's just well, like, it's do, a community, I belong to But that's
1: how it starts.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and it's you've
1: seen the, the movie The Beach.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. Not for a long time, but that's a great movie.
1: Great movie. But yeah. it really highlights like how the idealistic utopia can turn dark because of fear of losing it or fear yeah. of it evolving.
0: Yeah. And the, the thing with, you know, you were talking about, again, the parallel between cult leaders and, and kind of CEOs, for example. Um, because of the very nature of the people who end up in... Um, CEO positions or other leadership positions or entrepreneurs, um, there, there's a certain level of uh, kind of charisma and stuff, isn't yes. there? And yeah. and it is a bit Jim Jones, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. a bit like Could go
1: that way. <laughs> no, it,
0: yeah, but that's it, isn't it? It's the similar. It's the similar kind of because they have to have the level of charisma and the kind of personality that people want to follow because that's how these things start. You how they gain momentum. To, yeah, yeah, they they want. People want to go, oh, I buy into that mission. I love the sound of that. And it's almost like people people externally to the company will have to buy into that as well because that's more and more now people are spending their money with companies that embody the values they want, not just because they sell a product they want, but because they embody value. So for example... Yeah when I look at companies to buy clothes from, for example, now I don't buy many clothes. I'm like a proper, yeah, I, most of my stuff's got holes in. I'm really, really lax with this stuff. I just really don't care. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but when I do buy clothes, I either want to buy clothes from a charity shop, for example, or I buy clothes from a company which I uh, feel are aligned with my ethics around things like circular fashion and, and sustainability yeah. and plastic waste and all of this stuff, right? And I think that that happens more and more now, or at least my perception is that it happens more and more now than it ever has before. And so not just the people within the company are buying into the vision uh, and of the visionary, but the customers are now doing yeah. that. And this is like the kind of what Daniel Priestley wrote about in Key Person of Influence, um, that that kind of personal brand, even if it's not like a deliberate personal brand in the sense of it, but it's, it's still there, isn't it? And it's that characteristic. And you've got to be careful that that doesn't run away with people.
1: Was well, the difference between like talking your values and living them?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because true. everyone's
1: got those wonderful pictures on their walls, and you know, like we believe this, and we do this, and we do that. And if you ask someone on the ground, "Hey, what are your values?" I, mean, I don't know. I show up and I clock in, I clock out, right? Yeah. Um. So it hasn't trickled of, down enough, right? And so, and and the only way it trickles down is if your leaders are embodying it and actually living it and showing, demonstrating how the behaviors can highlight those values. You know, it's, it's one of our values is bravery. So in our performance reviews, in our team meetings, we're like, how have you demonstrated bravery? And that yeah. could look like vulnerability. It could be being brave about your story. It could look like so many things, right? Yeah. So you've got to um, bring it to life, but also as those founder leaders, stay grounded, keep your ego in check. Don't believe yeah. the hype. Because you could be here today and gone tomorrow and um, ask your people like I just did a 360 feedback from all of my team to just get real straight up about my leadership style and where I can improve. And we're going to have a session coming up where we're going to I'm going to openly chat about my learning points with my team. Mm. Right. And so not everyone's willing to do that. Right, because I have to be like, hey, I I mean, I agree with this one. I don't agree, like, what? And just listen. I just have to listen and be like, what are my what are my blind spots? What am I getting wrong?
0: And that's an element of that of embodying that bravery, isn't it, in in your own right? Because you're you're saying, I know I'm going to hear some stuff which I don't like, and that's that's not easy for anyone to do. No one is no one is completely immune to um, feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And I want
1: people to like me, like most people do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the way, because I, I, I'm one of those people that would always kind of, I have that kind of punk attitude in the past to go, and I don't care what anyone thinks. And it's like, it's funny because the people who say that are always the people who care the most, aren't they?
1: Oh, it's a lot of tosh. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I do really like Brené Brown's thing because, you know, my TEDx talk has just come out and I had the vulnerability hangover of like, holy shit, nobody's going to watch it and all of that sort of thing. But this idea that I take feedback from people who are in the arena. So if you're in the arena showing up and doing this yourself, I will respect and be open to your feedback. If you're what she calls a keyboard warrior, just dissing everyone but not showing up yourself, I'm not going to take it as seriously. So those are my choices and how I can manage it.
0: It's the it's the old Mark Manson. You've only got so many fucks to give, and don't waste <laughs> yeah. them on things which don't matter. But it's What's like that? <laughs> yeah, and you don't. It's it's not like not giving a fuck about anything, is it? It's just about the things which actually matter to you, and yeah. that's going to vary from person to person. Um, yeah, no, it's it is it's it's really interesting, kind of when we're talking about these kind of in, this embodiment of values and things like that, because in the more I kind of talk to people. Um, on the front line of certain companies, and do a bit of digging into well-being provisions and things like that. And most of the well-being provisions seem to be um, kind of sticky plaster solutions where you go, all right? Okay, we need to do a seminar for Mental Health Awareness Day, or we need to do yeah. this. We're going to do like a yoga taster session and all this right. stuff. Right now, I don't have any issue with those things because I think I think those things are great. I think it's I think it's important, and I love yoga, for example. But the <laughs> if you're not if you're not paying your staff well if you're not looking after them and giving them a good environment that's as you refer to being psychologically safe, safe. for them and um, and obviously physically safe as well if you're not providing these things because it doesn't matter how much yoga you do if you're if you're worrying because you're on a zero hours contract and you don't know how many hours you're going to get next week it doesn't matter about that seminar it is pointless and so again that's the, the difference between um paying lip service to a certain value and actually embodying that certain value because if you if it's really important to you that your staff are well and uh, and and therefore have the kind of a good quality of life outside work but also they they they've got a good morale in work they're productive they're a good team member uh, and they're helping drive the mission forward of your of your particular company uh, then that, that relies on so many more real fundamental things, fundamental needs that those people have. Um, and I think we forget that, I mean, you talked about diversity and inclusion, um, and if people don't feel included, if people don't feel valued, then all the other stuff doesn't matter.
1: No, and it's, it's, you might have the best intention in the world by providing the yoga class and again, there's nothing wrong with it, but are you actually talking to your people and collaborating with them about what they would find the most useful? So rather than like, oh, over here, we're going to put this budget and decide these things, talk to your people, whether it's that anonymous survey, whether that's focus groups, discussions with them, depending on the size of your company. And actually start and be honest about what will work now what won't what your budget is like so that people can go on along on a journey with you of creating a mentally healthy culture and of course there's a thousand ways that we help people do that
0: yeah there you go nice little plug Shameless you gotta plug. get it in <laughs> gotta get it in that's why we're all here right we're all trying to make a difference and get our message out there Absolutely. in fact what we'll do on that note because we're getting to the point now where we're going to have to wrap up anyway um but on that on that note, if there was someone listening to this who's in a position of leadership and they want to provide a psychologically safer space, they want to they want to lead their company in a way which embodies the, those values that perhaps have got lost along the way or they just want to make some kind of positive improvement to the way that they're doing things um where would you suggest is a good place to start i know this is a massively wide ranging and vague question but you know um, and then also the same question for someone who's an individual and wants to kind of improve their own well-being and their own kind of uh, mental health and, and mental fitness for example um so like a kind of a starting point whether it is a, a, a practical tip or a kind. Of more of a thinking mindset type, whatever whatever you think would be a good starting point for them, it'd be really really interesting to know.
1: Yeah, well, for a company, of course, there's every you know there's lots of starting points. But I would say if you feel like you've done the initiatives but it hasn't really built any momentum, I would get your senior leadership team together and facilitate a conversation about their mental health. Make it personal and how they can lead by example. Of course, we help with strategy and a, a whole host of things to, to, to get that right. Um, but I would get that group talking about it because so often they outsource to HR to go do the well-being thing. I'm talking with my hands and gesticulating wildly now. Um, but- No one can they, see you. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> it's just to get my point across to me. Um, but, like, but they're just dis- detached from what's happening. So you need your senior leadership team to feel it and experience it. So that's the, the one tip I'll give there. Um, and for the individual, um, check out my TED talk, TEDx Oxford, uh, because it's titled Three Ways to Live the Life You Want. So some real actionable kind of how steps of like, it's great, I'm in this shit or dark place and I wanna get there, but what's the middle bit? What are the small steps? And one of them for me is always visualizing. Mm. So it's like, I can picture, and they do, the athletes do it, don't they? You visualize the winning goal, you visualize your body um, performing. And in the same way, I mean, it's the most powerful. I didn't go to school as a kid and I used to visualize getting a master's degree. I had two young kids, was depressed, alcohol addicted. And I would picture it over and over and over. The cap, the gown, the shoes I would wear, who would give me my degree, who was in the audience, like as much detail as possible. And sure enough, uh, I got there and, and the feeling of like, Pushing yourself to that limit. um, Visualize where you want to get to. And there's no situation because we get stuck in a victim mindset. There's no situation that is too, I've seen them all, that is too difficult to actually move yourself through. So people can do it. You can do it
0: fantastic stuff and what i'll do as well is i'll put the link to your ted talk in the show notes so that people Please. can find that nice and easily um because that sounds absolutely fantastic and i shall be going to watch it myself as well without a doubt um and with that as well i'm going to put so if you're listening to this the link to that ted talk will be in uh, in the description um what about other places that people listening if they want to find you where's the best place to come and check you out
1: so LinkedIn is my happy place. That's okay. where I put out lots of content around uh, workplace wellbeing, leadership, that sort of thing. And our website's going through a rebrand. It's launching this week. So it's just my name, com. You can find out everything that we're doing there as well.
0: Fabulous. Well, I'll put links to your LinkedIn and to your website in the show notes as well then uh, so that people can find it nice and easily. Now, I believe that still, if you're listening to this on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, all of those should be clickable. Uh, but on Apple... I don't think that they like my clickable links still. So what? Well, you'll, you'll see them there, but you just won't be able to click on them. So you'll just have to search for uh, Petra's stuff uh, on LinkedIn there instead. It's all there. It's all there. Um, Petra, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting to you. Thank you so much again for, for, for your time today and for your insights. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot. And, uh, and also thanks again for being so willing at such short notice to jump in and do this recording.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Chat to you soon. thank you for listening to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. If you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, come and find me using the link in the podcast description and say hello. If you want me to help you improve the fitness and well-being of your team and of yourself, let's set up a call. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and keep leading from the front.